like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 2. I want to speak to you one more time about the subject of walking by faith and being in the yoke with Jesus Christ. I really appreciate this morning Tom's testimony and I appreciate others of you that have have said, you know, God is talking to me, I'm getting it. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if I'm talking to you or if I'm talking to the wall behind you. And I have to admit that sometimes that thought goes through my mind. And it's good to know that the Spirit of God is speaking. Last week we were talking about being in the yoke with Jesus Christ and what it means to to come and let, uh, let Him take the burden, take the responsibility as we give ourselves to Him and rest in Him. And I think sometimes when we talk like that, we give the impression that our task is merely to be passive. That we don't have to do anything unless we're nudged. You know, and, and you remember me saying to you last week, you know, throw away the rules, throw away the law, uh, get rid of religion. Jesus is opposed to religion. He wants to bring us into a relationship. And, and I made the statement, you know, well, when should you read your Bible? And I said, whenever He tells you to. And all of that's true. But as conversations developed during the week and whatever, and uh, we talked about uh, the, the meaning of that, I think sometimes we come away with the impression that you either have one of two options. You're either working hard in a religious way to do all the right stuff, or you're just kind of sitting here waiting for God to do something to you before you do anything. And that there's, there's no middle ground. You know, it's either passive, wait till God moves me so I'm not working in the flesh, or it's uh, all on me and i got to do all this stuff. And... Which is it? I want to come back to that this morning and talk about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because while it's true that religion is characterized by dozens or hundreds of I ought to do this, I have to do this, and those kinds of things... It is not true that a relationship with God is characterized by total passivity. Just being a lump, kind of waiting to be moved upon. But in fact, any healthy relationship, any relationship with another person, to be vibrant, to be alive, to be meaningful, has got to be reciprocal. Can I use that word, reciprocity, reciprocal? There's got to be give and take. There's got to be back and forth. People have to take initiative with one another. And in Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians, I'm sorry, it's about Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, John is speaking, actually Christ is speaking through John to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying some things about them, and You know, uh, I didn't say this last hour, but let me say this morning. I really think that in many ways, 
the description of the church in Ephesus in, in Revelation 2 is an accurate description of the Bible-believing churches in McHenry. Listen to what he says. Verse 2 of Revelation 2. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men, that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. You found them to be false. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. What is true of the church at Ephesus at the end of the first century? Well, they're doctrinally pure. They're orthodox. They, they believe the right things. They've hung in there through tough times. They have survived all kinds of opposition. They've survived false teachers. Uh, they've dealt with those issues. They're, they've worked hard. They have persevered. You know, if you look at the church at Ephesus, you could say they're doing all the right things. But then Jesus says this, I have a problem with you. And here's my problem. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. And he says, I need you to remember what it used to be like. And I need you to repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or I'm going to come and take your lampstand away. As a, as a congregation, you're not being effective and I'm going to move on. Because you have lost your passion. You're no longer in love with me. You're just doing stuff. And, and the stuff is good. It's, it's, it's religious. It's appropriate. It's, it's right. But there's no passion in it. There's no love in it. You're not doing it because you're in love with me. You're doing it because you're supposed to. And that's really the thing that I was talking about last week. The difference between religion and relationship. The difference between law-keeping and, and religious duty and all the ought-tos of life. And, and, and a relationship that is characterized by love and passion and, and mutual enjoyment of one another. When I said to you, throw away the rules, when should you read your Bible? Whenever Jesus tells you to. I didn't mean by that you should never read your Bible unless you get nudged. Or that you should never pray unless you hear a voice from heaven saying, Now, pray. Oh, okay. That it's, it's a relationship, not some kind of Static, I'm in the yoke, and I'm being pulled along, and I'll do whatever I'm supposed to when I'm pulled, but I, I'm not supposed to do anything. We're sometimes so afraid that we're going to get in the flesh that we don't do anything at all. And I want to tell you this morning that that's God's problem. I'll get there in a minute. That's God's problem to deal with our flesh. But in any healthy relationship, there is a mutual Give and take. I want you to think for me, with me just for a moment. We, we were talking about this in our group Thursday night, and as we were talking about it, uh, some thoughts came to my mind. I just want to share them with, 
with all of you. Let's say you have a really good friend that you really enjoy being with. You haven't seen him in, in a few weeks, and and you call him up on the phone. You say, hey, how would you like to meet me for coffee at Panera Thursday morning? Great. Man, we haven't talked in a while. Let's get together. So, so you make a date. We're going we're gonna to get together. We're going to have coffee. We're going to catch up with each other. We're going to spend some time together Thursday morning. And, and you're looking forward to it, and you're kind of anticipating that time with your friend, and Thursday morning comes, and, and, and something happens. There's a, there's a crisis, or somebody's sick, and all of a sudden, there's nothing you can do about it. You, you've got to cancel the appointment. You know, when you call your friend, you say, you know what? My, my daughter just came down with the flu. I just came down with the flu. Whatever happened, you know, I can't meet this morning. Let me ask you to just think for a moment. What are your feelings in that moment? How do you feel? You're looking forward. You know, you're, you're kind of anticipating the meeting. You, you took the initiative. You made the call. Now, now it can't happen. Marge said it. You're disappointed. You're disappointed. You're sad. You, you miss. You were looking forward to getting together. You miss. The fact that you're not going to be able to, it makes you sad. How many of you would say, oh, I feel guilty because I stood my friend up? How... <laughs> All right. There's a few exceptions in the crowd. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> Most people <laughs> would not feel guilty. They would feel disappointed. They would feel that something they were looking forward to is not going to happen. But we sometimes, when we talk about having a quiet time with the Lord, you know, we feel like, well, I've got to do this 6 o'clock every morning. I've got to spend, I've got to read four chapters in the Bible. And I've got to pray for 15 minutes. And I've got, my prayer's got to be, let's see, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. I've got to get it all right. And I've got to go through this stuff. And it's like... And, you know, and then if you miss it, you feel guilty. I say, oh, no, I missed my quiet time. It's awful. God's going to be upset with me. And, you know, and, and you get up in the morning and say, oh, i got to have my quiet I'm so tired this morning. i got to have my quiet time. Or, you know, bad things are going to happen in my life. I'll, I will never forget. I had, just, I had just fallen in love with Jesus. Really passionately in love with Christ. And I was growing in the Lord, and, and, I, and I had a high school English teacher who I loved dearly, and I still love her dearly. But anyway, she had a great relationship with God, and she was a great influence in my life. And, and I remember talking with her about a quiet time one time, and this haunted me for years. She said, you know, I get up every morning, and I spend time with God. I get up early in the morning, I go in the living room. She said, I sit down on the sofa, and I spend time with God, and I have this time with Him. And she said, I have to have that time. And she said, you know, one day I missed it. And she said, that day, she said, everything went wrong. And finally, toward the end of the day, I, I knocked a pan of hot grease off and I burned myself. And she said, I realized if I'd had my quiet time, none of that would have probably happened. I don't think she was saying to me that God was punishing her. I, I, don't think, I think she was trying to say... When I have my quiet time, I'm in a different frame of mind. I'm more 
thoughtful about life. I'm more at peace. I think that's what she was trying to say. But you know what hung over me? You miss your quiet time? It's a hot grease for you, guy. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I got. And it was like for years, if I don't have my quiet time, it's the hot grease. You know, somehow or another in my life, God is going to get me because that's religion. That is religion. That's what Jesus was saying. You guys that are tired of this drudgery, constant fear, bondage, you're caught up in this, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, come to me and I will give you rest from that stuff. Take my yoke, learn of me. I, you won't have all that pressure when you're in the yoke with me. But he was not saying by that that it would never happen or that, that we wouldn't have any kind of relationship that involved reading the Bible and having a prayer life. And, 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 but it's something that arises out of a love relationship. Like my friend that I have the coffee time set aside and I'm looking forward to it. Why? Because I want to be with this person. I want to have the conversation. I've set the time aside. I took the initiative. I made the appointment. And if I can't have it, it's not guilt. It's sadness that I missed it. But then what do I want to do? Say, can we try for Monday? I want to reschedule. I want to get back together again. Because I want to do this. And why do I want to? Because I love my friend. I want to spend time with this person that I value. Do you see the difference in what I'm talking about? Being in the yoke with Jesus Christ is being walking with Him out of the passion of our heart in a love relationship that's excited about it. And it doesn't mean that you can't take initiative. You can take initiative. It's fine to say, Lord, I want to meet with you every morning. I enjoy you so much. I want to set time aside every morning. And then don't get bummed out or bent out of shape if some morning you oversleep or some morning something else happens. But that's the passion of your heart. I want to meet with God. And if it doesn't happen, then it'll happen some other time. That's not in the flesh. That's the way relationships work. I love you, Jesus. I want to spend time with you. I love your Word because you, you tell me about yourself. I want to be in your Word. You know, I, I was also taught, I, I was taught a lot of things. And, and they, they didn't hurt me, really. Well, not too much. But, you know, one of the things I was taught was you ought to memorize Scripture. I, I have hundreds and hundreds of verses memorized. I'm grateful for that. I honestly think, though, I will tell you this truthfully, I think I've memorized more Scripture by accident than I have on purpose. What I mean by that is the more you spend time in the Word reading over it, thinking about it, meditating on it, you know, it just kind of sticks. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous, and you have good success, Joshua 1.8. See, I memorized the verse, but I also memorized the verse. I, it, it's, part, it's a part of the fabric of my life, but I was told you have to memorize at least two verses a week. And you have to remember the address before and after. And if you get them on these little cards and the little wallets that you can carry in your pocket, 
then you can review them at stoplights. People also honk at you at the stoplights. <laughs> you should not review them while driving, kind of like texting. You should not do that when you're moving, but if you're, you know, and, and you can memorize those two verses a week. And if you're like I am, some of you are like I am, you say, well, two verses a week, if two is good, four is better. Ten would be fantastic. How about two a day? I can do two a day. I'm a super saint. So, so now, you know, and when you do that kind of thing, you know what happens? The devil says, oh man, I've got him now. He's going to memorize two a day, ten a week. I'm going to crush him. He will never succeed. Instead of biting off something simple, you know, you take this big, gigantic task on, and then you're set up, and it's like, I've got to do this to be spiritual. And when I fail, I'm failing God. And, and, now, and, and what happens when you get in that kind of a trap? Guilt sets up. Then you're ripe for a real catastrophe because the devil comes to you, not personally, but you know how this works. Demons may come to you personally. And, and you get this kind of a suggestion. You know what? You've already failed at being spiritual. Why don't you just give the whole game up? Just go for this. Go for that. Don't worry about it. You know? And, and then you get frustrated and you feel like you can't do this thing. And, and then, you get, then you get this love-hate relationship with God. You know, I, I want to go to heaven and I, I need to be saved and I want to love God. But good grief, he's driving me crazy. Well, he's not driving you crazy. You're driving yourself crazy. You made up all the rules. But the enemy gets you to thinking that God expects all that stuff. And then that whole thing gets set up and it's like, oh man. And all of a sudden you're frustrated with God and the enemy has you right where he wants you. And friends, the point that I'm making is that in our walk with Jesus Christ, it needs to come from passion. It needs to come from love. It needs to come from want to. And if you find yourself being religious, the counsel of Scripture is go back to the yoke. Give up the religion. Go back to the yoke. Get in the yoke with Jesus. But don't think that that means a total passivity. You can take initiative. You can You can choose. You can, you can even take initiative. We're so afraid that if, if I do something for God, it's all going to be in the flesh. You know what? You can't do anything for God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What does He need from you or me? But He wants to use us. He wants us to be involved with Him in kingdom work. He puts desires in our heart. You know, people read that verse in Psalm 37, the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. And some people think that means I get everything I want. That's, that's, that's in the wrong place. We've got the wrong verb. God gives us the desires of our heart. He, he puts yearnings within us. He puts desires within us that are pleasing to Him so that we want the right things. He, he actually, so when those motivations and desires come up inside of you, you know, don't say, well, I can't do anything until God moves me. Go to God and say, God, I, I feel like I want to do this. I see lost people out there and I don't, I don't see myself doing anything to reach them and I'd like to get involved in some, 
ministry of outreach. Show me what to do. I want to do this. Or I'd like to get involved in this project. Or I'd like to get involved in this ministry. Lord, how about that? That's okay. Because you can count on Him to lead you when you're being active with Him. He will guide you. You know, and if you're headed off in the wrong direction, He'll say, you've got the right heart. Let's steer the ship. He can direct you. But it's alright to go and say, I would like to. And when you do that, you, you know in your mind, there's no power in my flesh. I can't do this stuff in my own strength. Did you know that I virtually never wait to be nudged to preach? I just do it every week. And did you know that I have no illusion that I can do this in my own power? I do something every week out of a commitment because God called me and I count on Him to show up and speak through me. I count on Him to do that. I stood up here this morning after Carrie finished singing. Great songs, by the way. Just perfect. Right right in line with where we are. But I stood up here when he finished singing. Don't you love it when God does that? I think that's so cool. By faith. I don't have any strength to do this. Lord. I don't have any power. It's, this is not me. But you've called me to do it, and I'm counting on you doing it through me. And I'm, and I'm going to stand here and open my mouth and say the things that you put on my heart. It's okay to take initiative. And, and when something else needs to happen, God will let you know that He's faithful that way. So I, I want us to understand this morning that you're not getting off in the flesh, quote-unquote, when you are... Seeking God, beseeching Him. Jesus says, look at the harvest fields. They're white for harvest. It's ready. Everything is ripe. Ask the Lord to send laborers into the harvest field. What do you think is going to happen when you do that? Lord, send somebody out there. Okay, how about you? Oh, all right. I'm good for that. I can, I can be out there with you. In our walk with Jesus Christ, I put five things down if you're following the outline, letter D. Don't overanalyze or make this life overly complicated. You know, some people try to think the Christian life to death. Don't make it hard. It's not supposed to be hard. Dying to self is a little tough, I will admit that, but... The concept is not supposed to be impossible. It's supposed to be simple. Come to me, you that labor, you're tired of religion. Come to me, walk with me, learn of me, take my yoke. I will show you how it's done. Okay, that's not hard. It's not supposed to be overly complicated. Don't worry about your motives. Here's what I can tell you about your motives. I'm going to give you scripture to analyze your motives. The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? That's what I know about your motives and mine. You will never fully comprehend your motives. You won't even understand yourself. The scripture says that. 
you will never fully understand yourself. You won't know 100% why you do everything you do. And you know what? Don't sit around waiting until they're totally pure before you do anything. Because guess what? Jesus will be back and you'll be in eternity before you do anything. Your motives are not your problem. They're God's problem. God is the one who has to deal with your motives. You know, if you're in love with Jesus Christ this morning, and you're passionate about Him, and you're pursuing Him, and and you yearn to do something, and you go and ask Him about it, and you're talking with Him about it, and you make plans to do that, does that mean that your motives are 100% pure? I don't know what it means. But this much I know, if your motives are not right and you're pursuing God with all your heart, in due season, God will make that known to you. He'll deal with it. You can trust Him on that count. You don't have to worry about it. He will deal with your, your motives. Don't worry about your motives. Don't worry about the flesh. The Scripture says, reckon it dead. That's an accounting term. It means count it done. Count it dead. God put you on the cross with Jesus Christ. You died with Him. When He died, you died. When He was raised, you were raised. Consider that, by faith, a done deal. Don't worry about your flesh. It's not your job. No one has ever crucified themselves. You can only nail one arm if you got real grit. you still got one free. No one has ever crucified themselves. You will not be able to kill your flesh. Reckon it dead. Let God deal with with the consequences. Let Him work it out in your life. That's His job. It's not your job. It's His problem. Give it to Him. Dedicate yourself to God. Give it over. If something is alive in you that ought to go to the grave, He'll deal with it. He's faithful that way. He promises He'll do that. All you have to do is love Him. He will take care of your flesh. Don't, don't make it harder than it is. Don't be afraid of sin. Martin Luther said a lot of strange things. And, and he, unfortunately, he wrote them down. And um, the Catholic Church will never let him live it down. But one of the things he said was, sin boldly. It's like, good grief. Well, he was not telling us to think up something bad to do and go do it. What he was saying was, don't live some kind of namsy, pamsy, timid life. Get out there with God. Get, get, in the, get in the fray. Go, go. Get busy. Get involved. And if you sin, don't worry about it. God will deal with your sin. He's the sanctifier. He will make you holy. It's not your job. And it's better to be out there living for God on the cutting edge, taking the risk, and failing occasionally and having God confront you and deal with it, and it's, it's just up front, than, than to be kind of hiding and hunkering down and afraid, I'm going to mess up, I'm going to mess up. God will hold you up. Who are you that judges another man's servant? Paul says in Romans 14. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will. 
Because God is able to make him stand. God can hold you up. You know, you're asking for prayer, and we will pray, but God will hold you up. That's his job. And so, we're not to be afraid of sin. God has not given us a spirit of fear. No, I'm not saying you should cozy up to it either. But don't live in fear. Live in freedom. God is faithful. God is able. Passionately pursue Jesus Christ out of a heart that is in love with Him. I want to say, do you understand what I'm saying? But my my buddy, Pastor Ector, says that's insulting and demeaning. So instead say, did I explain that well? Me explico bien? Did I explain that well? Do you do you get it? It's a relationship. You are free to take initiative. You are free to express your desires. You are free to pursue an interest with Christ. You are free to make a date with Him every day if you want. You are free. And if you're not meeting with Him the way He wants, He's free to say to you too, come away with me and talk to me. Why don't you look that up in John 15, nudge, nudge. He's free to do that. It's a two-way street. And trust God for the process. The Ephesian church had everything right. They were deader than a hammer because they did not have any passion. And I honestly think that, that, that a lot of our churches here in McHenry, that's part of our trouble, We've been at it so long. We preach the word. We're faithful. You know, we've got everything together. We're working hard. We've got all the programs. Where's the passion? Where's the passion? Where is in love with Jesus? Where is the enthusiasm? Where is the I can't wait to worship with the group? I can't wait to get in the Word because my God talks to me. I can't wait to, to spend some time with Him because we have such great fellowship. I want to have coffee with Jesus every morning. Where is that? Has life become religious for you? Or are you living out of your passion? You know, and as we're walking with Him, as we're going in the yoke together, we're moving down the path. George Mueller, the story is told of him that every year he would buy a new Bible because he wrote in the margins of his Bibles, he read through the Bible every year. Now all you want to go be like George Mueller, right? He read through the Bible every year, and as God would speak to him, he would write the things he heard in the margins. And so, in order not to prejudice himself the next year and to kind of have a fresh start with God, he would start a new Bible. Knowing George Mueller and all the stories about him in the orphanage, if you haven't read it, you need to read his biographies. But anyway, knowing George Mueller, it's probably the only thing he ever spent money on extravagantly, you know, was a new Bible every year. But he would get a new Bible, he'd write in the margins. And it is said of him that in one of the margins of one of his Bibles, in Psalm 37 where the verse says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So if you're in the yoke with Jesus, doesn't that make sense? Your steps are being ordered by the Lord. You're walking along with Him. 
George Mueller wrote in the margin, and the stops. The steps and the stops. Sometimes when we're walking with Jesus and we're moving down the path, he comes to a complete halt on some issue. And sometimes we want to move ahead. And we have to learn not only to walk with him, but we also have to learn to wait with him. It was on my heart to look up all the passages in Scripture that have to do with waiting on the Lord. And you know, I I looked up every verse in the Bible, in the New American Standard Bible, that has the word wait. And I was surprised that I only found 90 verses. Now, I didn't look up all the forms, waited, waiting, I just looked up wait. I've only found 90 verses, and of the 90 verses, I only found about 50 that had to do with waiting on the Lord. And by and far, the book of the Bible that has more verses than any other about waiting on the Lord is the book of Psalms, and David wrote most of them. It's kind of interesting when you start looking at it like that, that David had a lot to say about waiting for God. And it's kind of interesting when you look at the life of David, because God, you remember, anointed David to be king while he was still a young guy. He was the youngest son of Jesse. He was out tending sheep. Some people say he was 16 or 17. Some say he was 13 or 14. I don't know how old he was, but he was young. He wasn't a king, that's for sure, not yet. And that was the man that God chose. David is a man after my own heart, said when he was a teenager. Anoint David to be the king. Well, David did not just go, go down and say, Saul, I'm the new king. In fact, we don't see a lot about David for a little while, and then he shows up one day and, and, he, and he defeats Goliath. And it's like, whoa. Saul was, not, kind of, Saul was glad Goliath was gone, but he was not really happy that David was the one that did it. In fact, not long after that, um, Saul began to, the rumors were flying, I'm sure, and pretty soon Saul is so fearful of his kingdom and so jealous of David that David is out hiding in the caves. King of Israel, the anointed king of Israel, but Saul's still on the throne. And David is hiding in caves. He has enemies. He can't even go to Jerusalem. He writes one psalm and he says, Oh, I would love to be in the gates of the temple. I would love to be in the courts of the Lord as I see the people from my viewpoint back here in the hills down there in Jerusalem going to worship. And I can't go down there because Saul's on the throne. All that time, David learned what it was to wait on God. And as I begin to kind of study that whole subject of waiting, because, uh, you know, the rest of God, the peace of God that He promises, is not only being in the yoke with Him, not only walking with Him, but it's also being able to trust Him when things aren't happening the way we think they should, when they're not moving fast enough, when we don't know what to do, When we're going down the path and God is not giving clear guidance. You know, Lord, I see this thing coming up ahead. What are we going to do about that? And he just kind of keeps walking and doesn't say anything. Lord, Lord, we got a decision to make. Walking along. Hey, I got to have an answer here. Okay, if you're not listening, I'm going to go do what I think I ought to do. But the scripture says, wait on the Lord. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, 
If you look at the verse, it's on your study guide front page. Or if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Notice what they're saying. My way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. God, bad things are happening to me. Where are you? I'm in the yoke with you, and and we're getting rained on here big time. And I, what are you doing? Hello, are you asleep? That's, that's what's happening here. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. In other words, it's another way of saying God never sleeps. Or slumbers. He's never out of the game. He's always on the job. And then he says in verse 30, Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Have you ever been so physically exhausted or are so pushed to the limit that you couldn't even walk straight? Do you know what that's like to be that tired? I used to do backpacking and and every once in a while I would get overly ambitious in how much I would put in my pack. And after about 10 miles, you know, the ideal weight of a backpack is around 35 pounds. Uh, I know the military learns to carry 70 or 80 pound packs and sometimes I thought I was in the military because I carried too much stuff. And man, uh, there, were, there would be times when I would come to a point, it's time to stop and I, it's a good thing because I couldn't go any further. You know, your muscles are trembling and it's like... And, and what Isaiah is saying here is that people in great shape come to the end of themselves. Have you come to the end of yourself? Are you getting tired? Even the youths grow weary and vigorous young men stumble badly. But those that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. There's a promise here. There's a promise that when you're in the yoke with Christ, if you will wait upon him in times of in fact I looked at it and there's there's four categories at least four that these verses fit into when you're in trouble when it's a time of trouble you can wait upon the Lord what does it mean to wait it means to 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 rest to watch to look to expect him to Come and, and meet you and answer you with such confidence that you can wait for Him no matter what's going on. In times of trouble, wait on the Lord. When you need wisdom and direction, you don't know what to do. You've got to make a decision. Decision time is coming. You've got to make a decision. How do you know what to do? Wait on the Lord. If anyone lacks wisdom... 
Let him ask God. He gives to everyone who asks liberally and does not upbraid. And what happens when you ask? What's your experience, some of you? You know, you don't have to say it out, but can you identify with me? Sometimes you get answers. Sometimes you hear nothing. What do you do when you don't hear anything from God? When you've been praying, you don't hear anything from God. You know? Sometimes... And we have a hard time with this, I think. Sometimes we want to be so spiritual that we just, we, we lack common sense or something. Sometimes God says, what do you want to do? You know, if you're praying over every parking place or whether to get decaf or regular, you know, probably you're going to eventually hear from God, what would you like? What do you want to do? My conviction is this, and I have this based on a long time of studying the Scripture. I can't quote you every single verse, but one of them is in Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and even if he trips up and makes a mistake and stumbles, he will not be hurled to his destruction because God upholds him with his hand. My conviction is that in many situations in life, God gives me the privilege of choosing. With this promise, if I'm about to make a mistake that is important, He will tell me before I make it. He will let me know that. And if there's somewhere I need to be headed and I'm not, He will direct me. There is that promise. You know, I will let you know. We can trust God. God is more interested in us doing His will than we are. Don't you believe that if God wants you to do His will, He knows how to get through to you? He knows how to communicate? If He needs you to be headed in a direction and you're not even thinking about it, He knows how to communicate if you're walking with Him in the yoke, if you're listening, if you're communing and you have that relationship and you want to know, He will guide you. And if you're about to head in the wrong direction because of some choice you're making, He will let you know that. And, and if you're moving down the path and you want to go over here, you've got this uncomfortable feeling. I don't feel, I, you know, I'm not at peace. I, I don't have total... Uh, calm and, and confidence about this. Then the Scripture says, whatever's not of faith is sin. So if you've got that unsettled, you say, God, I need answers, I need answers, I need wisdom, I need direction. And He's not giving you any, but you don't feel right about it. That's an answer. Don't go where you don't have confidence. And you say, but the opportunity's coming up. The deadline's coming up. It's going to pass me by. Lord, it's going to pass me by. Lord, I don't feel good about it, but it's, I'm losing this opportunity. So what? If you don't feel comfortable moving in that direction, that is an answer. That's an answer. Wait on the Lord. Rest in Him. Don't make this hard. But look to Him for wisdom. Trust Him for guidance. He will direct your steps. 
He will let you know when you're about to fail. He will nudge you when He needs you to move somewhere you're not going. And if you don't need to be headed in some direction, He won't give you any peace about it. God knows how to do that. We need to learn to wait on Him. We need to wait for God for His promises to be fulfilled. You know, think about all the people in Scripture that God made promises to and how long they had to wait. Abraham, leave Ur of the Chaldees, go, to, go and I'll show you a great nation. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'll show you a land. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. How long did it take for Abraham's vision to be fulfilled? Well, Abraham was dead and buried. It was over 400 years. But you say, well, I can't wait 400 years. Well, okay, I realize that. But, but you know, Abraham, the promise was, I will give you a son. I will give you and Sarah a son. Abraham's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. Guys, you need a little help? Sarah says, you know what, I'm getting way too old for this mother stuff. Let's help. God, Al, why don't you take Hagar? That was acceptable in Abraham's time. You've heard me preach on that before. That was okay in Abraham's time. That was culturally, socially acceptable within the law. So Abraham takes Hagar and he has Ishmael. Man, we've been having trouble ever since. Yike. Those kids of Ishmael. You know? And don't blame them. I mean, go back to Abraham. He's, he's the guy that couldn't wait any longer. He had to take matters in his own hands. God still had the son of promise, but Abraham had a problem now. Joseph, you know, Joseph has this dream. He's a young fellow in his house, so he has this dream, and, and, and he's blessing his whole family, and even his mother and father are bowing down to him, and he, he tells that story, and the, oh man, his brothers hated him, and you know the story of Joseph. Joseph has a vision in his heart, a promise from God. I'm going to use you mightily in your family. I'm going to deliver your family through you. He gets sold into Egypt. He ends up in Potiphar's house. Then he ends up in jail. He's in prison. He hasn't done anything wrong. All he's been doing is serving God. All he's been doing is the right thing. He's been obedient. He's in jail for crying out loud. I mean, how can this be the plan of God? I'm in, I'm in prison. But sometimes God is orchestrating the events of history, and we have no idea the tapestry that He is weaving. We don't know how He's putting this stuff together, and He's orchestrating the events of history. And He needs Joseph to be in the jail when the baker and the cupbearer to the king end up there. So, and they don't even do it right the first time. But the time is not right. And then one day, you know, I was in jail with this guy, Joseph. Man, he can interpret dreams. God gave to Pharaoh a dream in a certain time. And now's the moment. And God had to have Joseph. I mean, Joseph could have been off on a business trip over to Rome or something. There wasn't any Rome then, really, but... You know, he could have been, he could have been out of pocket. No, God knew just where to keep him so at the precise moment he could raise him to the ruler of all of Israel. We get impatient sometimes and we want to get, you know, hurry up God and get this stuff done. I mean, you, you promised me I want it tomorrow. Can I have it right now, please? 
And God says, I wanted you to know where I was taking you, but it's going to take 30 years, 40 years. Wow, God, that's a long time. Yes, but I'm making gold. I'm not making junk. I'm shaping you into gold. Don't worry about the time. I'm the master of eternity. I've got it in my time. And when I'm done, you're going to look like Jesus. And you're going to do what I want you to do. You'll fulfill my purposes. God's plan. We need to learn to walk with Him and we need to learn to wait upon Him. There's ever so much more I could say, but you'll be waiting a long time if I say it all. So I'll quit now. Friends, have I explained it well? I'm talking about a love relationship with Jesus characterized by passion, not religion, passion, in love with Him. Acting out of that passion and God guiding your life as you rest in Him and wait upon Him and walk with Him. You can trust Him. He will be faithful. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your encouragement. Give us faith this morning to believe You for all the things that You have promised and to wait patiently upon You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.